He's always great. And sometimes he lets us, sometimes he doesn't. Loving the jams. Isn't that, that's actually our music. We actually have theme music. Is this you playing? No, it is not me. Thank you. That's not me. I mean, all right. Could be. It could be, but if I had talent. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's, start a let's, let's record this to the cloud. All right. So um, um, it's Wednesday. So that must mean it's Whiskey Wednesday. They are a small but feisty group. Rowdy. Rowdy. I enjoy. So, <laughs> Kristen Lovershell is here with us this evening. Hello. Hello. What is me? That is her. That is Can you hear her okay? You have to speak. I love how he only has his mic up. He's like, we don't need to hear her. I'm the one you want to see. Actually, I have you louder than me. So oh, well, right. I'm just loud okay. in general. Ratchet it back, buddy. I'll ratchet it back. <laughs> I'll, I'll pull myself back. Here we go. All right. So um, Whiskey Wednesday, you know, Christine is here and we're going to do um, some nice Tennessee whiskeys. Oh, yeah. And some bourbons yep. from Greenbrier, Nelson, Nelson Brothers Greenbrier. And uh, tell us a little bit about Greenbrier, because it's an old brand, but it hasn't really been around, especially in Massachusetts for a long time. Yeah. Well, you guys didn't know you signed up for a history course tonight. Yes. So my apologies. Um, it will be a quiz afterwards. Yeah, but the reward is whiskey and delicious whiskey. So um, yeah, I was saying earlier, there's no real short way to tell this story because it's like 200 years of history here. Uh, but this is a brand that- I watch uh, Outlander. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> where do we want to start? In Europe? Because we can, we can go that far back. Um, but this is actually a very American brand. Um, there was the largest Tennessee whiskey producer in the mid-1800s. Over 2 million bottles of this were created. And, um, you know, through time and prohibition, boo, you know, kind of fell into the annals of history mm -hmm. and um, was rediscovered by family down the road. Um, and now is slowly making its way back. Um, if you look at the bottom of the bottle, which is really funny, uh, this actually says distillery number five. Who knows another distillery with a famous number from Tennessee? Yeah, this is actually number five, distillery number five. So it predates our friends at Jack Daniels, actually. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, how far back do we want to go? We want to go in the time machine? Sure, Peabody, take us back. <laughs> yes, let's go. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll have we the best way to start is at the beginning. There's right? no Wayne World try, time travel in this in this room. It's always a Peabody and Sherman. I mean, it does look like we're in right, a submarine go. or it some sort look of like we're in something spaceship here. So, um, <laughs> not the weirdest spaceship I've ever seen, but sure. All I, right, we'll go with that. I haven't, I haven't seen any others, so I don't there you know. go. Um, okay, well, let's go to Germany. So, uh, our founder Charles Nelson III, he was born on the fourth of July in Germany. Um, and his family, um, they made their money making soap and candles. And like a lot of people at the time, um, in the mid 18, like around 1850, they decided to immigrate into America and his father sold all of their family's possessions, factories, everything converted it to gold as one does, uh, and decided, you know, let's board a ship, Helena, Helena Sloman. We're going to take the family to the new world, start a new life there. Right. So um, at the time when, you know, you're transporting a giant family of people and all your possessions, um, you know, you didn't have a way to transfer money via Venmo or, uh, you know, Western Union. So he actually converted all the family's money into gold and had it sewn into the lining of his uh, suit, which, uh, you know, doesn't sound like a good idea when you're getting on a boat, but, you know, you know, a little heavy action. Um, and as, uh, as history. If it starts out and then there was an iceberg. 
<laughs> then we're in trouble. And then there was a storm, yeah. actually. They hit some oh. rough water, and a lot of people actually drowned, one of them being Charles Nelson's father, who sank to the bottom of the Atlantic with all of the family's uh, uh, worldly possessions. Um, oh. They were, <laughs> yeah, sad story start, but we're going to get better. Um, so uh, Charles and his siblings and his mom arrived to the shores of New York completely penniless. Um, not long after, his mother actually passed away as well. So Charles being now the new, uh, you know, head of the family, yeah, yeah um, got to work making soap and candles in New York, uh, found his way to Cincinnati, where he learned how to become a butcher, and ultimately to Nashville, Tennessee, where he went into the wholesale grocery business. Um, now, he was probably a very young man, younger than probably our young people are starting companies and empires at those ages, but um, he really learned quickly that the three best-selling things were coffee, meat, and whiskey. whiskey. Uh, at the time, he was <laughs> he is always the best-selling thing. Um, he, at the time, was sourcing from a distillery in Greenbrier, Tennessee, uh, and he decided, you know, I'm going to put all my chips into this. He ended up purchasing the distillery and expanding it. Um, when he expanded it, he actually became the first person in the United States to start bottling whiskey instead of putting it in the jug or barrel. Um, and when he did that, his production increased exponentially, um, and they were creating over about 2 million bottles a year, which is enough for every man, woman, and child. It's a portable potable. <laughs> That's a lot of whiskey. It's a lot of whiskey. It's literally enough for every human being in the United States um, <laughs> to, to drink. At the time. At the time, yeah. yeah. Um, Charles lived till he was, uh, well, till about 1891 when he passed away. Um, and his wife, who is a, a stellar historical badass and of her own, um, she actually ran the distillery for 19 years by herself. And if you think about this time period, this is right at the like crux of temperance and prohibition. So she was probably not the most popular woman in Tennessee. Um, and then unfortunately, in 1909, they had to close the doors. Um, and it kind of got forgotten to the family, you know, uh, no one really talked about it. And I find that fascinating because I'm always like, if I had this kind of history in my family, I feel like I would know about it. Yeah. So when I asked Charlie and his brother, I was like, like, how did you guys not grow up hearing about this massive thing in your family? Um, he actually makes a, a pretty funny joke about it, but he said, imagine if your cousin was the largest drug dealer in Ohio, maybe people don't want to talk about it. You know, mm, yeah. and, that, and that's I do a horrible Charlie Nelson accent. I'm so sorry, but um, but yeah. So nobody. No, I've heard that. him. It's, you're pretty close. Pretty, pretty yeah, good, pretty, right? Yeah, pretty. yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. Um, but uh, yeah. So fast forward all these years later, right? 2006. Charlie and Andy Nelson. They are the triple great grandsons of Charles Nelson. Um, they were actually on their way to buy a share of a cow with their dad in Tennessee. They stopped to get gas, and they saw this historical mile marker. Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, quarter mile down Long Branch Road. And they're like, what's my name? Weird. And they asked the uh, the butcher, they're like, hey, like, what, what is the that sign there? And he's like, oh, that's, that's the old barrel house across the street. They went over there, got converted to a tobacco barn. Original spring, still running. Took a sip from it. They went to the historical society. The guy handed them two bottles that looked just like this. Incredible, right? He said all the hairs on the back of their neck stood up and they were like, well, this is clearly what we're here to do, right? We got to bring back the family. Um, so they started out on a very long journey um, to bring back and resurrect Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. Um, this bottle mold, as well as the label, are as close to the original um, as in the 1800s. The recipe in the bottle is the original recipe as well. This was found uh, through a lot of research going through archives. Um, 
at the time in Tennessee, their triple great grandfather used to have a big 4th of July celebration every year and invite media in and they would come in and write articles. So through that, through the archives, they actually found an original article where a journalist had come in and was walking through the distillery doing a tour. And the guy was like 12 bushels of wheat and then you get this many bushels of this. And of course, you know, convert bushels to today. They were able to get the original recipe from the first Tennessee whiskey, which is so cool. Um, so um, if we want to start here, we can actually. So this is the. Oh, if you don't let them start drinking soon, we're going to be in big trouble. No. Making you work for it, guys. Sorry. Um, it's just a long story. Um, okay. So what's really fun about this, the original Tennessee whiskey here, um, this is a weeded whiskey. So we've got our corn, we've got malted barley, and we've got wheat, about 14%. And what that does is just add this really beautiful, um, delicate, rich, creamy, um, even a little bit fruity um, flavor profile. I smell, um, I don't know if anybody else smells this, but I get like apples when I smell this. This is such a sipple, sippable, easy to drink whiskey. This is a shot in a beer whiskey, but it's also great for cocktails. It's like a great base for anything. Um, you know, let me ask you a question. So sure. the first one is the Tennessee whiskey and yes. Tennessee whiskey that we, we have this sort of like, I don't know, sort of uh, very, uh, very murky uh, definition of Tennessee whiskey. Usually Tennessee whiskey goes through the Lincoln County process. Yes. Does this do that? It is not murky. So Tennessee whiskey is bourbon that goes through the Lincoln County process. Okay. That's it. I, but is that what this is? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. So you're using, so now I'm going to ask you, okay, now it goes through Lincoln County, County process. Which one, the Jack Daniels one or the sort of the George Dickel one, which actually is a little bit different. Okay. All right. Because I like I like the George Dickel one because the George Dickel one doesn't make rivlets through the charcoal mm -hmm. and um, it sort of more soaks everything through the process. OK, so how do they what's their version of the Lincoln County process? OK, so, so I you didn't know this was going to get this no, way, but I but I but I have to ask. You're speaking my language. I'm right. a total nerd. So I will just say that for the for, for science, but for expediency, I'm going to be as simple as I can. When you are the person that controls the majority of a product in the market, you control the narrative on what that actually means, right? right? So for a long time, people's understanding of what Tennessee whiskey is very much defined by the person that makes most of it and that we drink most of, right? Um, at its core, at its simplest thing, all it is is filtering through sugar maple charcoal. Correct. There's no specific way that you have right. to do it. It is very much like it's poured into the barrel over the sugar maple charcoal. That's it. And, and it's then and, and you it's pour doing... it into a container that yes. has the chip and then it yep. goes yep. from there. It goes into the barrel. Correct. Okay. You make it stay, taken out. So what? how do you make that um, that cartridge like that you're running it through? Is it just. Yeah. Well, I mean, so um, uh, uh, Dickel uses uh, like a woolen blanket at the top. Mm -hmm. So it actually disperses it over the charcoal. Huh. the charcoal and then it, it it basically fills the entire tank up yep and then it runs through yeah no, but so jack daniels actually runs it through the charcoal yes which creates like sort of like these little water We're running lights, it through running it through so you're not filling it you're just running it through we're running it through see that's all yeah that's, that's all yep. I to know. running it through and it's um, a long way to get there but you know, <laughs> i love the long journeys it's okay i love a journey field trip um yeah no so it's and like i mean depending on how in the weeds you want to get here, um, the, the actual charcoal, the filtration process, right? There's a lot of quotes from Charles Nelson about what it's actually doing. 
um, and I can't remember it, so I'm sorry, but like the essence of it is mostly like it's taking the harshness out, right? You're really just kind of extracting that charcoal, sugar maple charcoal is extracting some of the harshness from the new make spirit, softening it a little bit around the edges, making it a little bit more palatable before it goes into the barrel to continue getting softer and further okay. extracting and aging. Right. And aging. Yep. Um, so yeah. And, and one thing I do also feel like I need to be an evangelist on because one of the things I most hear, because this is the original label, except Charlie and Andy's names are now on it, is they see sour mash on it. And sometimes people go, Oh, I don't like sour mash. Right. And that's like, you know, you know, yeah. and it's like, well, so you don't like any, of these yeah, you don't like any whiskey then, yeah. because it's pretty much the way Most everything is made. Um, it's just a ter it's terminology that for some reason was more popular to put on a label then um, maybe as an indicator of like flavor profile, but really to everyone now should mean nothing because every whiskey is made. In a, well, a sour I, mash. I think originally the, the sour mash part of it was was basically a process they would again saying it as a process mm -hmm. and that process using sour mash was supposed to make it um not just like not softer or flavor profile but it was supposed to make it consistent sure so that every bottle you picked up tasted the same as the other bottle you just drank yeah that's something and, and everybody's doing thing, it thing right yeah. and everybody and some people put it on the label and other people didn't and you have other people that put on charcoal filtering and you have other people that didn't right I mean, it's just marketing, marketing, <laughs> marketing. marketing. Uh, if you can't figure, figure the answer to anything that deals with alcohol, there's two answers, marketing and taxes. So yes. if you can't figure it out, it's one of the two. Yep, that's true. Good point. Um, what else? All right. So what do we think of the uh, Tennessee whiskey? It's lovely, isn't it? Um, highly recommend if you're going to grab a bottle of this and you do some home mixology. Um, I make a lovely variation of a daisy, which is essentially just adding a, a sweet and a citrus, right? So I call it a Tennessee margarita. So you do a couple ounces of the whiskey, uh, maybe a little orange liqueur, um, a little bit of citrus, and a little simple syrup, If depending on what orange liqueur you use, how sweet. Shake it up, a little sugar rim. It's like a margarita with whiskey. So 10 out of 10, go ahead and try that. There you go. You heard it here first. I did. Yes, sir. Question. Yes, question. Bourbon stay in the barrel for an awful long time. Is that also true of the Tennessee whiskey? Yes. So um, this stays the youngest whiskey, and this is two years, as is the requirements. Um, they're straight, could, yep, straight whiskey. Yep. And um, this is this. There could be between four and six years in here as well. Yep. Um, which we're going to see more in this guy here. So the classic. This is the next one we're going to taste. So to talk about Nelson Brothers, I feel like we have to take a little side adventure quest here. Um, when Charlie and Andy started, they knew absolutely nothing about distilling. They leaned on a lot of people in Tennessee, a lot of people in Kentucky. Um, they worked with Dave Pickerel for a time um, where he mentored them. Um, he worked with a couple other really famous um, uh, distillers um, who did all that they could for them with, with you know, uh, without literally making it for them. Uh, they mortgaged their parents' house to build their, to their first still. Their parents' house. Well, they didn't have a house. They were young men in their early 20s. Um, but yeah, luckily it paid off, but they ended up paying off their parents' house, luckily. Um, but yeah, they, they leaned on people around them and they didn't have anything to start with. And for Tennessee whiskey, it has to be made and distilled and aged in Tennessee, as is the requirements. Um, so they started with bourbon and they started with a label called Bell Mead. Has anyone ever had Bell Mead bourbon before? Great. Um, 
excuse me, a um, lot of uh, great scores, great press, really delicious bourbons. They have um, some cask strength things that we were talking right. about, different cask finishes. Um, but Mel- Belmead was a bridge kind of to get them to the distillery, to the Tennessee whiskey, get them back there. So um, when we started expanding, right, so now Greenbrier is available in all 50 states, we pulled Belmead back into a distillery only. So those come around as limited expressions. But we came out with Nelson Brothers um, as like our effective everyday bourbon for, for the portfolio. So um, the Nelson Brothers are kind of the same as Belmead, right? effectively yeah um more readily available um so we have two expressions here but that's going to be basically their batches yeah so yep. they're batching the, the 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 nelson brothers yep and they're and um, if the bell meat comes around it's either a small batch or it's a single barrel is that correct yeah yep okay. yep and the the nelson brothers bourbons similar to bell mead um we have a lot of contract distilling so they're incre- andy nelson is an incredible blender that's always been like our day one thing he's been blending since the jump um, and he has what he refers to as his spice box. So he's got um, some friends in Indiana. He's got some friends in Kentucky, some friends in Tennessee, um, where he you know, effectively pulls his spices from. Um, but the hallmark of the Nelson Brothers bourbons are that they are high rye um, in, in content. So um, we actually don't put the mash bill on here. And the reason for that is, and you know, I'm, I'm very much an evangelist on this too, is like, as somebody who cooks, without a recipe, but knows the way I like it to taste, I don't want to be married to that thing, right? And with these bourbons specifically, we're blending to a specific style. We want it to be a certain flavor profile. Um, so depending on, you know, year to year and the way we're making it, he doesn't want to be like penned into a specific mash bill. So yeah, but that's, I mean, if you're, if you're sort of spice boxing it, as you called it, and you have like stuff coming in from different people, <clears throat> those are each different mash bills and then you're creating you're creating a flavor profile off those so the mash bills actually have to the percentages change as Correct. what you're putting together yep every time yep so if you're using a little bit more of one than the other then each time you make a batch the mash bill will actually technically change sure even though those whiskeys were made with the same mash bill each yep. separate one is being made and it could be like a, <laughs> a, a rye from here right a bourbon from here right. and, and not necessarily like blending m- multiple different like rye, but but really like right. just kind of piecing together the best of what we can get our hands on um and then um but the hallmark always being between 25 and 35 percent rye okay. um, which creates this really great structure really great spiciness um let's start with the classic if you guys haven't already that's in slot number two guys yeah. So left to right. They're like, we're done. We already drank it. Yeah, they already did drink it. Well, let me oh, did I tell you to save stuff? No, I didn't. I didn't mean to. It's okay. <laughs> There's no more. Mm. So interestingly enough, the the Tennessee whiskey is 91 proof um, in honor of Charles Nelson dying in 1891. Everything's a little bit intentional. Um, the classic is actually 93 proof, but I think one of the the, I don't know, most likable things about these whiskeys is that they might be slightly higher proof, but they don't drink that way. Um, there's a lot of flavor to them, but they don't read very hot right off the bat. Um, Are they chill filtering those at all? Or no chill filter. No chill filter. So, I mean, when you're up in 91, you can decide to get away. 92, the magic number, sort of for no chill filtering, but 91, it would have to get pretty cold to start. So some like fluctuation with some cloudiness anyways. Mm-hmm. So I think that's actually really nice. And that's, I think that's, you get some of that good mouthfeel at that higher proof too. Yep. And I, I, 
listen, I probably drink the reserve more than anything else. Like, not like I have a problem here, but if I'm, <laughs> I'm grabbing a bottle and I'm, and I'm sipping on something, it's the reserve. The classic is more of like my, if I'm making an old fashioned or just a really simple two ingredient cocktail, I'll use the classic for that. Um, but the reserve is my. Yeah, so the classic is, is you're going to make something that you're still going to taste the bourbon. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? You're not, yep. you're not covering anything up. You still want to taste the bourbon yep. and the simpler cocktails. So you want to, you want, you're using that, but if you're going straight sipping whiskey, yep. you're doing the reserve. reserve. Yeah. Or the Tennessee whiskey, just, you know, depending on how hard your day is that a shot of that in a beer is good therapy, free therapy for you. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm in good company here with this. Yeah, group. you're fine. You're fine. That's There's no judgment here. Why would there be judgment for this crowd? This is, that would be really mean. Um, so the age you thought of, they were nice. <laughs> I didn't say nice. I just meant right. like appropriate to make whiskey jokes too. We're all in this boat. Together. We'll see. We're all in this we'll spaceship see. together. <laughs> spaceship. It's, it's, you know, it's the Metro station. It's supposed to be like a train station. I think it's all the metal. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Yeah. Okay. Listen, yeah, there's trains don't have any metal in them. So we're pretty good. that. I, I love what you did with the place. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's thank great. You. I was I was telling um, one of your colleagues, I said, you know, I spend a lot of time in retail and the, the basements are usually dark dungeon. And I'm like, I might not survive. This is only half that way. There you go. You know, we'll take in the other half later on just to scare you. <laughs> I got a sneak peek. All right. Went down go. that murder tunnel. There um, we go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There is no murder tunnel <laughs> here. <laughs> you mean along with all the tin signs in it? Yeah. Hiding what? What are those tin signs hiding? Just saying. I don't know where your imagination goes to, but um, the wall, <laughs> that's my, that's my metal sign collection. Well, better here than I, home, right? That, exactly. That's why it's here. That, the, yeah. That's yeah, where does that go? Well, the one, you mean the one with the safe door on it? Yeah. That one, that one you should worry about. I'm not helping your argument here. I sir. know. We're only three whiskeys in right now, dude. This is going off the rails. Get it off the rails. Hey. They didn't know they came for comedy. <laughs> they still haven't come for comedy. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Should have stopped drinking, boys. <laughs> right. right. Um, has anyone been to Nashville? As a child. Yeah, okay. it's not the same thing if you go as a child. Just, just to let you know. So. Um, I have. Okay. Have you been to Greenbrier? I have not. Okay. Well, what are you I have, for? Well I, well, I have to go back to Tennessee. I didn't go when they were sort of in in swing okay well two things um so nashville the airport we now have uh the green room which is like a nelson's Greenbrier outpost which is oh, cool. super nice um and we just finished our ex distillery um renovation uh expansion so now we are not only hosting a tasting room and tours but we now have a event space and a restaurant and like it's just we've gone full Full, full Disney. Full Disney. There you <laughs> go. Full whiskey Disney. Um, but so please come and I'll give you all my contact after. If you guys ever head down there, please let me know and I can set you up with a nice with a nice tour. It won't be as nice as mine, obviously. You're coming? Is that what you're saying? And, uh, you I'm might be, be there in two weeks. You might be there. Yeah. I'll be there in two there weeks. Go. Um let's uh let's drink reserve. Let's let's do it. So this guy. <laughs> this is whiskey <laughs> like they're like, if you're gonna make me drink it, I <laughs> guess. My arm. Just my arm, it gets back to this far. <laughs> All right. So this guy is a whiskey advocate, top 100, number 10 this year. Mm. I don't know if you guys care about that, but some people do. 
Very nice. Whiskey people do. I, I care about the way it tastes and it's very nice. It's very nice. Um, this is a average age six to nine years. Same kind of uh, high rye content. I have wrestled bottles of this out of um, the hands of people at Whiskey Fests before. Um, you know, the later you get Whiskey Fest, the, the more people get brazen about trying to steal things off your table. And usually it's this bottle. Oh, there you go. Yeah. What do we taste? Um, I, I think, what do you guys taste? I don't like to tell them what they taste. I don't want to tell, tell me. What do you taste? If you say whiskey, I'm really going to, I might just jump over this thing. Highly seasoned crowd here. You get the depth, you get some of the, you get some vanillas, you get some citrus in there. You got even some like toffees and honey going on in there. Really good. It's got a good depth of flavor. It's a nice long finish here, right down the middle of your tongue. You sort of get that, that lemon, that citrus sort of flavor going on at the finish. Um, long finish, still going. Yep. Like a little so, ginger and a little yeah, clove. A little spice. Definitely. Tasty. Yeah. Get minerality. Stop sucking rocks. <laughs> Stop. I think we've talked to you about rocks. this. I think we've talked to you about this. Listen, don't be mad because her palate is more refined than yours. She she tastes rocks. <laughs> I, Who's to say? She, Listen, nobody's right. palate is wrong. I'm gonna. No, tell no, you it's right not. Now. It's not wrong. You taste what you taste. No, no. Yeah. I wouldn't. I Lisa has a very good palate. I believe it. She's taking notes. She just she wrote the, <laughs> she just wrote swear words at me. So I know she's, she's like, die, 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 middle yeah. finger. <laughs> in in like lipstick, the, her list, her list. Like Ryan. Well, most mostly what you're tasting is what you're smelling anyway, because it's, yeah, you know, like more. It's truly more like eighty percent of what you're tasting is through your nose, olfactory senses. Mm -hmm. They definitely um, get that cinnamon on there too on the nose. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I get the dryness and the palate, like almost like a tannin situation from that you get from like a cinnamon on this one for sure. But so this guy's a little bit bigger, higher alcohol. You know, this is 107. Um, but I think of a nice entry at 107. I don't think it's too aggressive. Um, no, it's great. I think it's really it's you know a lot of depth of flavor and not uh, not a big burn. Yep. Um, at 107. And you gotta like acclimate your palate. I feel like see, I, I feel like you guys are all professionals. I don't never have to trust your this. first taste. Never trust your first taste. That first taste is literally to just acclimate your tongue to the the party that's coming. You know, like I have friends. That's what we call that other whiskey, two licks. Never trust <laughs> your first, never trust your first taste. We call it two licks. What are because, you talking about? Because we have this discussion all the time is that when you try whiskey, you never trust your first you go to. Because you got to, like you said, you got to acclimate yeah. your mouth to it. The second sip is the one that really you should be starting your judgment. Yeah. Not the first one. Well, and if you've ever spent time with Scottish uh, whiskey distillers, or the blenders specifically, or the tasters that get into the process, like they will tell you a full 10 to 30 seconds of swishing around. Yeah. And there's like a, I mean, that's a long time if you're thinking about it, like how long it's in your mouth, you're swishing around, but you're getting multiple stages of flavors when you're doing it that way and so like your first taste is truly just acclimation to the heat of the alcohol um and you know get your taste buds kind of activated mm -hmm. and then it's swish 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 i mean i like my gums too much so i don't i try not to keep whiskey in my mouth for that long swishing around like it's listerine um and i'm sure that the scottish distiller's teeth are terrible um but they will tell you that like on that first second third fourth pass you're going to get like all of these different nuances you're going to really start getting into the geeky stuff like you'll be able to taste like the different cuts that are made like 
is like you actually are really kind of dialing in to the the, the hearts and what they're going for and that's how they have to get there well that would salt all the dental the dental records of all the distillers in scotland um <laughs> they don't need teeth <laughs> no that's actually it's 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 alcohol it's 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 an antiseptic it's true it's, it's actually good it kills all the bacteria yeah well oh well they, yeah, no, there's probably other reasons, but let's we won't we won't delve on that. A lot of gingivitis there. Um. <laughs> She's not allowed in Scotland anymore. Sorry, banned in Scotland. Yes. Big friendly giant. Big friendly giant. He called the reserve the big friendly giant. Yeah, that makes there sense. We go. There we go. Well, if I was to refer to Andy or Charlie, I'd say Charlie is actually in person the big friendly giant. And Andy is more of like the cerebral. Uh, but I could see that about the reserve. They're actually fascinating guys. There's there's interviews with them if you ever you know, we've had, had them on Zoom. We haven't oh, had them have. live. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I actually interviewed Charlie and I said I have a, a booze podcast, if you're interested. Um, but I interviewed Charlie a couple of years ago and um, I learned some really interesting things about him. Like he was a philosophy student. He speaks French and Arabic, which random. And and like, then you meet him and you're like, oh, look at this big friendly giant pushing bourbon around town. And you would never know that about him. He's actually one of the smartest people that I've ever met. So, you know, never judge a book by its cover. There you go. That, that, that's a, always good rule to live it's true. by. It's very true. Um, let's get into these, uh, cask finishes. So guys, this is actually, um, a special treat. So, yeah, so I just want everybody to understand the first three that we've just tried of what's available here in, uh, in Massachusetts now. Yes. She was very nice and brought us some, um, some cask finishes that are not available right yet. This will be available at some point soon, TBD. Okay. Uh, but this is unfortunately not, but I wanted to have something special for you guys because, you know, we all, we're all chasing that like unicorn around. We all want the cool stuff. Um, and you know, um, they usually get that here. So I'm glad great. you brought it. Oh, yay. Okay. Um, the distillery, you know, they, they're, they're very kind to me. So I asked them to send me something fun that you guys appreciate. Um, so they actually sent me a bottle of the, uh, cognac cask. Oh, very nice. Um, which we, I think we just released it at the distillery this week and it's only available at the distillery. Um, and then we road trip, road trip. Yeah, some of their finishes are very cool. They've got a Muvedra cask. Um, uh, they've done Madeira. They have a sherry cask, which I may or may not have a little bit of in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, honey cask. Um, yeah, so they were doing those with Belmont. That's really nice. The honey one? The cognac. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This one's yeah. really nice. Yeah, so this is uh, goes into barrels, excuse me, um, that have formerly held French. <laughs> Got it? <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm getting indigestion in the middle of this. This is great timing. <laughs> eh, listen, it's going to happen. I think I just need to drink, so. There you go. Hang on a second. Mm-hmm. The, the Scots put a curse on the you. The problem is I don't have enough Scottish genes. Like I'm too, uh, I'm too fair. Now, so how long are they putting in this in the cognac cask? So um, these previously held uh, cognac for six to nine years. Okay. Um, these are just getting, a, 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 I think it's a, a shorter period of time, just a couple of years, or not even a couple of years. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. So, so, so technically if we like delve into the weeds because we have a friend that does this type of stuff yeah um two months in a cask will get all of the um everything you're going to get from what was previously held so anything longer than that of course you're still going to get aging yeah you're still going to get all this other stuff but it'll it basically takes out half of what was in the cask so 
just to just for just a number's sake, if there was 100 parts per million of cognac in the cask, 50% of it will come out in two months. After that point, you're only going to get, you'll still get aging and you'll get a mellowing of what you're doing. But the influence is sort of, yeah. so we usually, sure. I usually say, okay, so let's say three two months. months. Yeah. Let's say three yeah. months. That's usually, that's about standard for any of the like finish barrel. Like when we do wine barrels or we do sherry barrels, it's not like an extended period of time. Right. Um, this is the fun thing about getting something. That you don't want to overtake even... it too. You want yeah. it to be, you know. Yeah. Well, this is the fun thing about getting something that I've never even got to try is that I don't know as much about it as I should, but um, that's because I don't even have it to sell, which is- Which makes sense. I'm enjoying mean, it with you for the first time. Well, that's good. We like that experience. Yeah. Um, but it's delicious. Um, can't go wrong with what that. What are you thinking? I, yeah, I'm, yes, sir. Are they stored in rickhouses like every like other bourbons? Yes. So the rickhouse, they're not- um, Some some do- Some um, are taller, but- Yeah, but some of them do, um, they stack palletized. You can sell, stack them in that way, but these are traditional uh, rick houses that they put these in. So how do they? Well, it, these these are blends. So if they're if they're putting stuff in the rick houses, um, they're going to take stuff from the top, the middle, and the bottom, right. and they're going to sort of cross check them yeah. to create their blend. I would assume. Yeah, and and honestly, it's it's um you know all comes down to like barometric pressure and and heat and humidity and like. Tennessee is, can be kind of a swampy, sticky, gross place. So depending on where it is. So let me get this straight. Um, uh, we've insulted the Scottish. Now we're going to the people of Tennessee. Good, good, good. You, you, you're on your own. Uh, I don't <laughs> care. Listen, I have people in Tennessee. I have family in East Tennessee. And right, they're very scary. They're like Appalachian people. So I, I got, I got, I, listen, I've gone to the orthodontist Scots, three times. Tennessee and family <laughs> now. Is this, should we hit? Do you want to hit the trifecta? Or we can just hit that one. All right. We can we can talk about a hillbilly Appalachian family. Okay. Got how much time we got? No, no, I'm good. Um, <laughs> what'd you What's say? That? New Englanders. How do you well, feel New Englanders? I have lots of opinions. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we're now a New Englander. I live here, so there you go. <laughs> That's what's wrong with me. Wow. <laughs> wow. She's in, in one fell swoop. She indebted all of us. Thank you. Only, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night everybody. Me. Have a night. Thanks for coming. Check out my podcast. Yeah. Check out her podcast. Yeah. I all right. So, but anyone. the cognac is really nice. You can definitely tell, takes yes. the influence of the cognac. Yes. It's there, right? I'm not mad at it. Yeah. We'll give it to New England. Not bad. <laughs> the best compliment you can give a New Englander can give something. I'm not bad. Not bad. It doesn't suck is the best compliment. You're correct. I stand corrected. You, it doesn't suck is the best compliment. But most most normal people when they're doing it say it's not bad. So, but I don't know why anybody uses bad to compliment something. But yes, that's true. What we do. So what I pick up on this, this is my first time tasting this with you guys as well, um, is I definitely get on um, the mid palate, like all of the things about cognac, like those fruity esters that you're getting. You're definitely getting them like midline on the palate. This is definitely Grapey. a fruitier. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, there's a little grapey influence, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it's definitely got those, the, the, the esters that are coming out in this are definitely of the fruitier style. So even that time in the barrel has a significant impact mm -hmm. um, and definitely can, you know. You get a little nuttiness on it too. A little nuttiness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just the influence of something made in the copper still versus the column still, like you can see that flavor is, is very profound, like, and, and the palate. Really nice. I'm, nice. It, it, yeah. I like it. Tasty. Um, so let's talk about rye, right? So, so this may be coming. Is that this, what you're telling yeah, us? Yeah, this is coming. 
Oh, it is coming. This All is right. coming. Um, our 15-year rye isn't coming because that is a very limited. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is the good stuff that we're going to keep for ourselves yeah. is not coming. But this other stuff we have, you can have all that. You can buy the 15-year rye at the distillery um, or if you make friends with somebody. At the distillery. Yeah, correct. Right. Um, it is very expensive, the 15-year rye. But um, this is our uh, foray into just making rye accessible this year. And um, So what's the what's the... Now, are they blending the ryes together? So what's, what's can you give us the sort of the breakdown of the rye mash bill? Or? Don't have the rye mash bill, but as all ryes, it's got to be at least 51%. Uh-huh. Um, so similar, prof- same profile as our uh, bourbons, just slightly more rye in the, in the mash bill. Okay. All right. Yep. yep. Um, so this is the first time I'm tasting this as, as well with you all. I love a good rye. Oh, there's fruity on there. There is some fruitiness to it. I'm going to, I'm going to say that this is a, I, I don't think this is like a huge, like maybe like 60% rye, 70% rye. I don't think so. Right. I, Man, it's, you know, not, it's not a, it's not a super high rye content. It's over 51%. Everybody it's still rye, but I don't know if this is like, like, a, like, and it's not a 95, five. So, but I'm thinking, wondering if it's like 70, I don't even think it's that high, huh? What's nice about it is it's got a lot of the rye spice to it, which is great. It's sort of tempered a little bit. It has some little, it has a little bit of sweetness. So it's definitely got some, you know, got some corn in there. Um, I would say it's definitely got, I think it may be even higher of the malt. Yeah. And I actually feel like it, the, the spice is um, a little more subdued than I was expecting. And it's definitely got more of the uh, fruitier aromatics on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, typically like when you smell a rye, I, so I sell another portfolio of whiskeys that are very high rye and you smell them and it's like immediately assaulting you in the face with that, with the, with the spices and the, the clove and the gingerbread and all that stuff. Um, this is a little bit more of like a gentle caress to the finish. <laughs> What's that Mega? You know, is there any I, wheat in this? I actually, I was thinking the, even more of a barley, but it could be wheat. The first thing I thought when I smelled it was it smells a little bit like the Tennessee whiskey, that apple um, that I get from the wheat. I actually smell in the rye. So I, that's a great question. I don't know if there's any rye in here, um, but I wouldn't be surprised. We expect a whole full breakdown later on. You're so. going to get it. Listen, All right, we'll get it. Listen, I can't be held accountable for things that I was just shipped up. No, today. <laughs> no. And I think that's actually, you know, it's I like getting listen. I like the fact that we're actually tasting it and try to figure it out because yeah. that in itself is an exercise. And then when you find out what it actually has in it, because, you know, no matter what you try to break things apart, but once you start adding things together, they create a new thing. So sometimes you don't, you're not catching like, you know, when you say, oh, I'm getting some, you know, barley or saying getting more wheat in that and then you find out oh there's very little of that right because it's the it's the combination of maybe two other things that are sort of giving you that flavor profile so in that itself i think is all uh, is is interesting too um we can just enjoy it as it sips as we're drinking it right now and we can geek out and try to figure out and then be totally wrong and then we can use the google machine and find out but this is more fun well that would be like the spaceship because the (laughs) what this little this little box right here has got more computing power than sent to, meant to the moon. So we can certainly use this to our detriment. <laughs> so you're saying that you would think it's more of a, like an inter, rye introductory side of things? Yeah. That's too spicy. And yeah. they, they see the, like the bigger style rise. I, you know, here's, here's sort of the thing that we, we've been seeing is we, we, 
you know, John and, and Gio and myself, we get a lot of rice and we get a lot of whiskeys that come in. And for a while there, one of the things, and I don't think this does that, but for, we, we were getting to a point where we were saying like, rise and bourbons were becoming too much alike. Mm. So in other words, if you did, you know, 51% corn and you had this high rye thing, or you had a, a 51% rye with a little bit of corn, all of a sudden the, the, they were getting awful close together. And I think a lot of people right now are sort of splitting them back apart. You get the 95 fives, but you get other people putting other things in the rye, like malted barley and, yep. and, and stuff like that. So um, giving it a more, I think a more of a, a, a definitive line. Yeah. You know, this is what rye is and it could be all over the gamut over here. And this is what bourbon is, but you got to the point where I, and some of the things that I was trying, I would, you're telling me it's a rye, but it tastes like a bourbon to me. You're telling me it's a bourbon. It tastes like a rye to me, yeah. you know? So I, I think that line started to get really blurred. And I think a lot of people are, um, a lot of distillers and stuff are saying, okay, let's separate this up a little bit. A hundred percent. And I you think the, the, the thing about American whiskey making versus like scotch, for example, is you can really influence, like they always say in Scotland, the, dis, the, the still that's being used is actually kind of like the footprint very much of the final make, right? Like you're able to influence your flavor so much with that process. Whereas in American whiskey, when um, with the way our laws are, with what has to be in it, and then this type of stills we're using, I think that people tend to like, it, it can be very much like things start to taste the same because we're not able to do that. So I'm, I'm with you. Um, I do, I do think though, that like blending is an art form oh, is very much like conducting and the people that do it well, like I, I, I would argue that this reserve is such a great example of a high rye bourbon that very much showcases each of those individual mm -hmm. whiskeys so well, mm -hmm. there's not an overpowered, uh, overpowering of one versus the other. But, um, but yeah, to your point, like I do enjoy being able to taste the grain that you're actually tasting in the spirit. If, if for so, that I think you're right. Sometimes I, I find a lot of like, especially scotch is, is very distillate driven. The flavor components are distillate driven. And that goes because the, most of the barrels that they're using are all second and third fills. So until you added a, you add a finish, like if you're doing, right. you know, uh, sherry or port or whatever, um, the, the distillate itself is what's sort of driving the flavor and aging in a barrel. That's not going to give it a huge, huge influence right. unless you're finishing in. Right. Yep. So I think, I think that's a good point. Yeah. That's a valid yeah. point. Well, these I are think. tasty. Um, I'm really glad that we got to share them together. Do we have any questions about Greenbrier or the history or, you know, I know I talk fast. So I'm glad I got it through pretty quickly. You did. You did great. <laughs> you did a great job. Well, I want to thank, first of all, I want to thank you for showing up tonight. Of course. Uh, sharing your whiskey with us. Anytime, better than drinking alone. <laughs> That's what my doctor says. Um, and everybody that showed up for Whiskey Wednesday, we're really happy that you came came tonight. We're going to end this. Uh, we got a couple little things that I want to go over off the air, including some pricing and some fun things that are happening at the store this weekend. I want you to be definitely be part of that. Nice. But I want to thank everybody for coming and joining us. We're going to say goodbye to all the fine folks on Facebook. And um. <laughs> Hi, mom. And by the way, um, you can you can catch this. Uh, Cousin Vinny will actually take this and he puts it out on our podcast, nice. which is called It's the Liquor Talking. So um, you can look it up wherever you get that Spotify or wherever you want. Um, if you're having problems falling asleep at night, uh, it'll help. It'll you, help. You can also listen to mine. It's called The Booze Hustle, available everywhere. Probably more exciting than us. I mean, all right. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. All right, let's stop.